Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. All right, Daniel chapter 4. If you look at Daniel chapter 4, verse 1, you notice it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. And really, Daniel chapter 4 is a, a declaration by King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, you don't have very many portions of Scripture like this where uh, it's, for one thing, written by a Gentile. Uh, here, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is not, not a part of Israel. Uh, he's a conqueror of Israel. And yet this, this chapter of Scripture here is really written by Nebuchadnezzar, and it is in a way, Nebuchadnezzar's personal testimony of salvation, how he came to believe in the Lord God of Israel. Now, placing where this is written in the life of Nebuchadnezzar is a little bit difficult, and uh, it helps to maybe get a little bit of historical perspective uh, about the life of Nebuchadnezzar and where, where uh, he's at in the flow of history. But um, no, I want you to notice before we do a little bit of that, that chapter 4 of Daniel is addressed to, it says, to all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. And Nebuchadnezzar says, Peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Now, put a, a mark here in Daniel 4. Go back to Jeremiah chapter 27, because it is significant that Nebuchadnezzar here addresses this to all nations, because by this time, by the time you get here to Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has been given some information from God about the, pla the place that he uh, has in God's plan. And, you know, when you, I don't know if you're like me, I'm, I'm fascinated by history, whether it be American history, world history. Here we're, we're talking some pretty ancient things. Uh, but, but understand, when you study history, and especially these ancient empires and things, that what was going on is not just how history is often taught today. It wasn't just sort of random events that, that took place but rather God was working through those events of history, and the, the whole rise of the Babylonian Empire had to do with what God was doing with the nation of Israel. It didn't just spring out of nowhere. It wasn't just uh, you know, the result of meaningless events, but rather God was orchestrating a lot of things, and because of what God was doing with Israel, he raised up that Babylonian empire to serve his purpose and serve his will. Even long before we get here to Daniel chapter 4, where Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges the Lord God, long before that, God had been working with Nebuchadnezzar. And here in Jeremiah chapter 27, notice what he says. Jeremiah 27, verse 1, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came this word unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus saith the Lord to me, Make thee bonds and yokes, and put them upon thy neck, 
and send them to the king of Edom and to the king of Moab and to the king of the Ammonites, to the king of Tyrus, to the king of Zidon, by the hand of the messengers which come to Jerusalem unto Zedekiah, king of Judah. And command them to say unto their masters, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Thus shall ye say unto your masters, I have made the earth, the man, and the beast that are upon the ground by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and have given it unto whom it seemed meet unto me. And so God takes them right back to creation. He says, I've created these things. God is the creator, has, has authority over all things, right? I mean, when you create something, you, you own and possess that thing. And God says, I, I give it to whom it seems meet or seems fitting to me. And now have I given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and the beasts of the field have I given him also to serve him. Now, at the time that Jeremiah is writing this, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is, is already in power, but Nebuchadnezzar certainly is not aware of the fact that he is serving the purpose of God. He's not a willing servant here at, at this point, and yet God calls him my servant. He says, I've given all these lands into the hand of my servant, Nebuchadnezzar. And verse 7 says, And all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the very time of his land come, and then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. And it shall come to pass that the nation and kingdom, which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation will I punish, saith the Lord, with the sword and with the famine and with the pestilence, until I have consumed them by his hand. Therefore, hearken not ye to your prophets, nor to your diviners, nor to your dreamers, nor to your enchanters, nor to your sorcerers, which speak unto you, saying, Ye shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie unto you to remove you far from your land, and that I should drive you out and ye should perish. But the nations that bring their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, those will I let remain still in their own land, saith the Lord, and they shall till it and dwell therein. And so the Lord had given all nations into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, certainly when you, when you study the extent of Nebuchadnezzar's empire, he didn't wind up conquering all nations on the earth, but that wasn't because he didn't have the ability to do so. It wasn't because he, he uh, you know, was prevented from doing so or that there was any nation that was able to withstand him or stand against him. It was really just a, a matter of time, right? I mean, even to, just to go out and take those nations. God had delivered him to him. All he had to do was wherever he went, he conquered and reigned, all right? And um, here, you know, the Lord, the Lord said, this is really a kind, of a kind of a reversal as far as how God had been dealing with nations, because God had promised to the nation of Israel that if they would obey and serve him, they would be the head of all the nations, right? And all the, the Gentiles would serve them, but he said if, if they disobeyed, they would be the tail of the nations. And here he takes, he takes Babylon and makes Babylon the head of the nations, and he says every nation on earth he's given into the hand of the king of Babylon. Now you can imagine if you were an Israelite at that time, especially if you were a king of Israel or a king of Judah, uh, that, that might be a confusing change. Anytime there's a change in God's plan, there's some confusion that takes place. And there are people that come along that don't understand there's been a change, and they, they try and say, no, you should be doing it like, like it was back here. 
And that's what he warns them about. He warns that there's going to be these prophets that are going to come and say, no, you shouldn't serve Babylon. But now there's been a change, and now God says, you better serve Nebuchadnezzar. And any nation that serves him, they'll be able to stay in their own land. Right? They've lost some degree of autonomy. But they'll be able to stay in their land. But if you try and fight against Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to be taken out of your land. And, and you know, Nebuchadnezzar rules over over Judah for some time before they finally rebel. Actually, they rebel several times, and then they're taken completely out of the land. All right? But you see those things uh, there in prophesied there in Jeremiah, and that's how Nebuchadnezzar here can, can send this proclamation out to all nations. He doesn't just send it out to Babylon or to the, the nations that they conquered, but he says this is a declaration to all nations, to all people, to everybody on the earth. And... Uh, that, that tells you that Nebuchadnezzar considers these things that he's going to talk about very important, right? So, so uh, you know, this is something that he had the power to send out to these other nations, even the nations that were out beyond the extent of his empire. He sends out this declaration because he wants them to know what had happened to him and what he had learned through these events that he's going to describe. Now, like I said, it can be a little bit difficult to place some of these things historically, Nebuchadnezzar is born around 634 B.C., all right? So, so uh, 634 years before Christ, Nebuchadnezzar is born, and, and Nebuchadnezzar is not the, the first king of Babylon, or he's not even really the initiator of the Babylonian Empire, but his father was Nabopolassar. Nabopolassar was the first... He could be called the first Chaldean king of Babylon. Uh, there had been a, a previous Babylonian kingdom that had been pretty uh, powerful and influential. But Nabopolassar was able to, uh, to rise to power by, he, he received help from a, a tribe that are called the, the Chaldu or the Chaldeans. All right? And they initiate the Babylonian Empire. The, the preeminent empire before that had been the Assyrian Empire, okay? And the Assyrians, remember the, the two kingdoms of Israel, you have Israel in the north and Judah in the south. The northern kingdom had already gone into captivity before the Babylonians. They were taken into captivity by the Assyrian Empire. The, the last great king of the Assyrian Empire was Ashurbanipal. And Ashurbanipal... His, after he died, his sons wound up fighting over the kingdom, and the Assyrian Empire lost its strength. And Nabopolassar, the father of Nebuchadnezzar, with the help of the Chaldeans, was able to defeat the Assyrians, and that really began the, the uh, historians call it the Neo-Babylonian Empire, uh, the Chaldean-Babylonian Empire. And so Nebuchadnezzar is the son, then, of Nabopolassar. And uh, Nabopolassar was already extending that kingdom of Babylon in his lifetime. Uh, he had a desire to annex some of the western provinces of Syria, and he sent Nebuchadnezzar out 605 B.C. So um, if you figure up the, the years there, you can see that Nebuchadnezzar was about 29 years old. He sent out to lead the campaign to annex those, those uh, western provinces of Syria, and he wins a very important battle. The, the Egyptians and the Assyrians, you know, you still have this remainder of the Assyrian kingdom. 
and the Egyptians and the, the Assyrians were joined together. This was one of the times in history where instead of fighting each other, they joined together to fight against uh, Babylon. And at the Battle of Carchemish is where uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is able to defeat the Egyptians and the Assyrians together, and that really paved the way then. Babylon just winds up being the, the one world power then at that point. And that same year, Nabopolassar dies, and so his firstborn son, Nebuchadnezzar, becomes the king in his place. Uh, by the way, you notice the, the beginning part of both of those names is similar. Uh, these kings often were named after Babylonian gods, and the god here would be the god Nabo or Nebo, and uh, so Nabopolassar is named after that god. Nebuchadnezzar's name means Nebo, preserve my firstborn. So Nabopolassar names Nebuchadnezzar and, and dedicates him to that god Nebo or uh, Nabo, and that's, that's why he has that name, Nebuchadnezzar. And so Nebuchadnezzar begins to reign 605 B.C. Uh, there's a, you know, a lot of things that he does. Uh, one of the things that he attempts to do in 601 B.C. is to invade Egypt. And that was not a successful campaign. And one of the things that it did, because he was focusing on Egypt, you had people, you know, Canaanite people and Phoenician people that had already been conquered by Nebuchadnezzar, who then decided they were going to rebel. They were going to take the, the uh, opportunity of the fact that uh, Babylon, the Babylonian armies are engaged down there in Egypt, and they rebel. And Judah also rebelled at that time. And it was, it was in 597 B.C. that Jerusalem is captured. Okay, now this is not when the city is destroyed, but it's when the city is captured. And for 10 years, uh, Israel, you know, even their capital is captured by the Babylonians, but they're, they're allowed to remain in the land. And about 10 years later, 587 B.C., there's another rebellion, and it's at that time that then Nebuchadnezzar destroys the city of Jerusalem. The Israelites are carried away captive. There's just a, a small number of people that are left uh, in, in the land, and they are the, the lowest of the people. All of the, all of the upper class, all of the leaders, all of the rulers, all of the, the successful people are taken out of the land. They're taken as captives to Babylon. That's when Daniel and his friends are taken to Babylon. And this, this end period from 587 B.C. to 562 B.C. is really the height of Nebuchadnezzar's power. Now, it's sometime during this period, 562 he dies, so you have a period of about 25 years where the events of Daniel 4 take place. Okay? It, it, Daniel and his friends are already in Babylon, so it's after the uh, beginning of the Babylonian captivity. Um, so it's somewhere in that 25-year period. Now, one of the major things that happens during that period is that uh, Nebuchadnezzar lays siege to the city of Tyre. Now, this is something that is prophesied in the book of Ezekiel. We're not going to look at it, but, but feel free to look at that on your own. Uh, Tyre was a very influential city. Uh, it was also a very well-defended city. And for 13 years... Uh, Babylon is trying to take over that city of Tyre. Now, they never actually defeated the city, but Tyre eventually, eventually uh, you know, came with terms of peace and submitted themselves to the power of Babylon. Uh, in 568 B.C., 
Nebuchadnezzar again wars against Egypt. This also is described in Scripture in Ezekiel 29, where the Lord says you know, that, that he had used Nebuchadnezzar to go and defeat Tyre, but that Nebuchadnezzar had, had never received any wages for that. He never got the spoils of war because he didn't defeat the city of Tyre. Uh, you know, Tyre, Tyre uh, changed their mind. They repented, you could say, and uh, they came under his authority. And so the Lord says he's going to give Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar, and he goes down there and, and attacks Egypt. So if you look at that period of time, um, it's, and you try and think, you know, where could there be a period of seven or eight years? The events of Daniel 4 cover eight years. Uh, where, could, where could that take place? You know, it's, it's possible certainly that it is during that siege of Tyre that these events take place. Uh, it's possible that it is, is sometime after that. Although that end period of Nebuchadnezzar's life, secular historians have noted that as they look at, at the different, uh, different artifacts that are left from that time, there are very few inscriptions uh, that mention Nebuchadnezzar during that end period of his life. And it, it seems like he's kind of not, not personally involved or not personally on the scene. So it's, some, you know, it's somewhere during that time that these events are taking place. And uh, so let's look at our text as we continue on in verse 4. As Nebuchadnezzar gives his personal testimony, he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they may make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. Now, this sounds very similar. Right? It sounds very similar to uh, chapter 2, where he has a dream. He brings in all those people. They can't tell him the interpretation. Uh, but verse 8 says, But at the last Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar. Now, Belteshazzar is that Babylonian name that he gives to Daniel. Daniel would be a Hebrew name that, that uh, Daniel, the El there is God, referring to the God of Israel. Instead, Daniel's given a name, Belteshazzar, Bel or Baal, uh, after a Babylonian god. Uh, but he says, he says, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and before him I told the dream, saying... Now, you notice a couple of things here as Nebuchadnezzar describes his mindset at the beginning of these events. He says that Daniel's name, or Belteshazzar, that, that uh, Babylonian name, he says is after the name of my God. And so at this time, Nebuchadnezzar, even though he has certainly learned some things about the God of Daniel and the God of Israel, you see who his God is. It's Baal. Right? He, tells, he tells Daniel at the end of chapter 3, you see, verse 29 says, Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He doesn't tell Daniel that, but he tells uh, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You notice he calls them though the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He doesn't, he doesn't accept their God as his God yet. And here his God is still Baal. He says Daniel is named after the, the name of his God. And, and he says, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods? He doesn't yet recognize that 
um, the spirit that's in Daniel is not the spirit of the holy gods. It's the spirit of the holy God, the one God, the God of Israel, right? And there's a progression here in Nebuchadnezzar's thinking. Uh, as you think about these early chapters of the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1, uh, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't really learn anything about the God of Daniel, but you see Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, you see them take a stand for the truth of God. They, they don't want to eat of the king's meat, which would have been sacrificed to idols. Uh, they set themselves apart, right? And, and Nebuchadnezzar, what comes to Nebuchadnezzar's attention in chapter 1 is not the God of Daniel, but Daniel himself and Mishael and Hananiah and Azariah. He notices there's something different about them. They're, they're better, they're above uh, the rest of the, these captives. In chapter 2, uh, even there in chapter 2, go back to the end of chapter 2 and notice, notice here, um, verse 47, or verse, verse 46, when Daniel gives the interpretation of the dream, Daniel 2, verse 46, then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel. He doesn't worship Daniel's God, he worships Daniel and, and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him, unto Daniel. Okay? And then he says, uh, verse 47, the king answered unto Daniel and said, of a truth, it is your God, your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. What does he say? He says, well, Daniel, your God that you worship is really a, a great God. He's a powerful God. He's, he's a God of gods, right? Um, at the end of chapter 3, he tells Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he makes it illegal for anybody to speak against their God. He doesn't say, he doesn't say uh, that he worships that God or anything. He, he just says uh, it's illegal for anything to say, any, say anything against uh, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and uh, here in chapter 4, you see, even as he looks at Daniel at the beginning of the chapter, he says, oh, the spirit of the holy gods is in Daniel. He has that mindset of an unbeliever at that time uh, who believes there's many gods and, and their spirit is in Daniel. And so at the end of verse 8, Daniel chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Before him I told the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee and no secret troubleth thee, tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen and the interpretation thereof. Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much. And in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven and cried aloud and said thus, Hew down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beasts get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass, in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from a man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. This matter is by the decree of the watchers, and the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent 
that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basis of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now thou, O Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof, for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. And you see in verse 17 really what the purpose of chapter 4 is. All these events are designed that the living would know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and that he gives it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. Okay? And so in this, in this context where Nebuchadnezzar is really the, the greatest and most powerful man on earth at the time, the Lord takes Nebuchadnezzar and he's going to do some events with him to teach Nebuchadnezzar and everybody else who's alive that it's not Nebuchadnezzar that rules, it's God that rules in the kingdom of men, and he can set people up and he can set up a Nebuchadnezzar and give him great power. But you notice also what it says is that he sets over it the basest of men. And, you know, you look at, you look at uh, these powerful leaders throughout history, and while maybe we would have a desire often for these men to be, to be noble and, and uh, you know, great men in more than just the sense of their power, what you find is they're very base men, right? Um, it's it's, not, it's not, not the most noble people that often rise to those positions of great power. It's a very rare thing that, uh, you know, that somebody who um, has, you know, has uh, biblical moral standards and, and a godly mindset rises to great power. That's kind of an aberration in history. Who usually rises to power is the one who's willing to do anything to get that power. And he sets base men, men who are, are driven just by, by base passions and, and uh, that drive for, for power and wealth and those kinds of things. That's who God sets over, over the kingdom of men. But make no mistake about it, it's God who sets them, right? And, and here he says, it's not that Nebuchadnezzar rules in the kingdom of men, it's that God rules in the kingdom of men, and he sets up uh, these men, he gives it to whom he will, and the way he demonstrates that is, the way you demonstrate that you're the one that can give that power is you take away that power, right? I mean, if Nebuchadnezzar had done this all on his own, if, uh, if God didn't have the power to, to set him up, then he wouldn't have the power to take it away. And by taking it away, God demonstrates he's the one that has the power, and not just by taking it away, but taking it away and then restoring it again, right? So God can not only set somebody up, he can set somebody up, remove them from power, and set them up again. And, and so this dream that, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar has is about Nebuchadnezzar. It's about himself. Um, Daniel begins to give the interpretation in verse 22, I'll start, start in uh, verse 19. It says, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonied for one hour. That's just a, an older way of saying astonished. Um, these, these events, this isn't some light thing to Daniel. He understands this is something very important. And uh, Daniel, you know, Daniel by this time, I mean, he's, he's achieved some level of power within Babylon. He's been set up and given a, a position there by Nebuchadnezzar. But Daniel understands right away what the interpretation of the dream is, but he's so, he's so overcome by the implications of it, he's astonished for an hour. He can't 
give the interpretation. Not because he doesn't know what it is, but because he's, he, you know, he's probably, uh, try and put, put yourself in Daniel's place, he knows what the meaning is. He's probably in some way thinking about how do I, how do I put this lightly? A lot of times with a, with a king, a powerful king like Nebuchadnezzar, you don't want to be blunt. Um, although Daniel winds up being pretty blunt here anyway. But uh, he's, he's a stonied for one hour and his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. Now the dream in chapter 2 said some pretty nice things about Nebuchadnezzar, right? I mean, he's the head of gold. He's the head of that whole, that whole image, right? And, and uh, the only thing that might be taken negative there to a man like Nebuchadnezzar would be that stone that knocked the image down. But, but Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold. He's not the feet of, of iron mixed with clay, so he doesn't have to worry about that. Here, Daniel says... This dream, this dream isn't something good for you. This dream is going to be welcome news to the people that hate you, to the, to the people who want to, want to destroy you. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.